Life is hard when you don't know who you are. It's harder when you don't know what you are. My love carries a death sentence. I was lost for years, searching while hiding, only to find that I belong to a world hidden from humans. I won't hide anymore. I will live the life I choose. This is episode 44 of Fatalists, a podcast devoted to the supernatural series Lost Girl. My name is Dave, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Wayne. How you doing, man? Howdy ho, neighbor. All right. Uh, been a while. Put up a couple take fives, but always good to be back talking with you about anything genre-related. And we've got a hot topic for tonight. Yes, we do. We do indeed. Yeah, you know, I've, I've kind of feel bad because like, I haven't done any of the take fives and but I've got like some good ideas for ones, but I just need to I need to carry them out. This yeah. is a very Gen X type attitude. Kids, get to bed. Daddy's got work to do. <laughs> but uh, tonight we're going to discuss genre women we love, actresses who've made an important contribution in the fields of science fiction, horror, fantasy, or the supernatural. So, you know, we, we've talked about this for a while, and then way back when I meant to look up what episode it was where we did the uh female the the characters yeah that, that was really early liked. days yeah that was in the early days when we were actually doing an episode review and a second topic and that's also back when we talked about the show called lost girl as well good point but that that's, show? i do but that's not our fault <laughs> it's not our fault no right so uh anyway a what do you famous han solo line in the star wars movies it's not my fault all right so what have you been watching well, you, as the good crack dealer that you are, uh, not literally, but he is a TV crack dealer, and you got me addicted to Falling Skies. All right. But it's easy. But now I'm stuck because I've watched seasons one and two on Amazon Prime, and now I'm like, uh, I started DVR in season three, but uh, not until like halfway through the season, and... Verizon only has like the last four episodes on on demand, so I'm probably have to like bite the bullet and pay two bucks per episode to watch the first five episodes. But I'm willing to do it. Yeah, I just don't understand why these networks don't put all the episodes of a season online. You know, put their commercials in, and obviously, most of us know that you generally can't fast forward past the commercials on a lot of those. So. Yeah. Uh, doesn't make sense to me. I'm sure it makes financial sense to them, however. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, all right, I've, I'm paying for Verizon. It's like, just because I didn't watch it five weeks ago, you know, doesn't mean you shouldn't want me as a, as a customer still. And you're right, absolutely. Uh, but so on demand, like, you've you got me. I, it's not like I enjoy watching on demand, right? Because you have to sit through the commercials or you have to very slowly fast forward the ones through the like adult diaper commercials or whatever. Yeah. And uh, so you got me, I'm, I'm going to actually look at the commercials and everything, but uh, uh, whatever. So, well, but even why doesn't sci-fi have it, you know? Online? Yeah. 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 Put the commercials in. Right. But. I'm trying to think what, uh, if I, if I watch it on sci-fi. Yeah. No, Cause they do being human, right? Yeah. Oh, they're good. Oh, yeah. Sci-fi is good with on demand. BBC America is excellent with on demand. Okay. Well, but a lot of a lot of uh, yeah, because like BBC America puts puts them all up, 
pretty much. And then, uh, but yeah, mo- but yeah, most networks just a couple. But, but we digress. Yeah. Seen anything else? Uh, actually, you know, we, you you mentioned before we actually started the podcast, but you mentioned Breaking Bad, and I had said that I was thinking about that last night, and that is because Brian Cranston was in Argo, which I finally watched last night. Oh. And that okay. movie was, that was just, that was a great movie. So give me a, a real quick synopsis of the plot. Okay. Um, so it's the uh, Iran hostage crisis, right? And um, six Americans escaped from the, the embassy when it was overrun. Okay. This is the 1979? Yeah. Was there another okay. Iran hostage crisis? Ah, well, uh, you know. <laughs> yes. I, I was only like. I was only nine years old, but I remember it, Dave. Come on, man. Um, so, so yeah. So, like, uh, you know, like, the American embassy is overrun. Like, 50 people get taken hostage, but these six escape, and they make it to the Canadian embassy, right? Okay. So, the Canadian embassy is like, you got to get them out of here. It's only a matter of time. They realize that the, the, the students who grabbed them are going to do the numbers and figure out there's people missing. And they're going to go looking for them, and probably the Canadian embassy will be one of the first places, right? Uh, because you know, the you know, other North Americans speaking English, you know, there'd be a natural place for them to go. Um, so Ben Affleck's character is a CIA operative who who is uh, an expert in in getting people out of dodgy situations. And he comes up with this idea that he knows like having them pose as teachers and all that, it's not gonna work because it's you know it's they're just not gonna buy it. So he says, Well, we're going to pretend that they were an advanced uh, film crew unit that are scouting locations for a film. Um, and, of course, they have to be Canadians because if there are any Americans at all in Iran, we're, we're in big trouble. Um, so they pretend to be a Canadian. So he puts together – he gets actually a, a Hollywood producer to buy a script and to do a press conference and all this stuff, publicizing uh, the creation of this movie Argo. And then Ben Affleck is going to go over to Iran to get his uh, film, you know, the, the the six Americans to uh, get them to pose as as uh, a film crew uh, doing scout locations, uh, location scouting, I guess. I mean, and, and then uh, you know, get them out of Iran. Everything. Okay. Now, how is this science fiction? It's not at all. Uh, but Brian Cranston was in sup- it. Supernatural. Um. Uh, Horror? Uh, well, uh, Ben Affleck's haircut was pretty horrible. Okay. Well, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I've said all along that I've just gotten so far away from watching films, and I, I don't know if it's my attention span's not good enough at this point, uh, but I ended up seeing two films last week, which I mentioned in, in the last Take 5, uh, you know, the District 9, the sci-fi film, but I also saw a, a non-sci-fi with 42. I can't believe a big baseball fan that I claim to be. So Yeah, I, I, I still haven't seen 42, but we'll probably buy that. I mean, was it It was good, right? It, I thought it was really good. I, yeah. You know, I know locally, the, a lot of our local critics have, have kind of had some negative things to say because it, it, it shows the one – black sports writer who was kind of assigned to help Jackie Robinson from city to city during the 47 season. And certainly that was true, but Baltimore's Sam Lacey, who was, you know, one of the preeminent sports writers of the forties, probably into the sixties in the Baltimore area, apparently was just as instrumental and he wasn't mentioned at all in the movie. 
Yeah, those New Yorkers never want to give Baltimore a shout out. You know. Yeah, but uh... but yeah, you know, I you know, I because I, I you know, I feel really bad on a number of levels because my kids, uh, you know, I was a lacrosse player. I played baseball a little bit when I was a kid. But I basically played lacrosse. All my kids played lacrosse, and they know almost nothing about baseball, and it's it's almost pathetic. Now the boys now are starting to pick up more. But uh, when this movie came out, my oldest was like, who was Jackie Robinson? I was like, are you freaking kidding me? How do you not know who Jackie Robinson is? Like, and then so obviously we told him and then he's like, oh, I really want to see that movie. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but we still haven't seen it. So I'll probably yeah, I'll, you know, go and buy that one though. Because yeah, if you say it's good, then I'll go. I was just worried that like I'd buy it like, thinking, oh, it's about Jackie Robinson. And then like it turns out to be a crap movie. And you're like, ah, man. All right. Well, now the other movie I happened to see and this is the subject of my next take five, so I won't go into detail too much here. But, you know, my wife had the uh, control of the remote again, and she was watching Dark Shadows with Johnny Depp. Oh, yeah. I, was, I, uh, I haven't seen that one either. Well, you know, I, personally, and maybe we could do this as a, uh, a fun theme show one time, overrated actors and actresses. I, I just personally think he's totally overrated. Really? Uh, yeah, and and part of the problem I have, you know, with these you know, Tim Burton films is that they never really seem to know what they want to be. That just as I'm getting into the the horror, the gothic elements of this film, it goes off and just make stupid. So, <laughs> but what it did was it made me think about the original Dark Shadows that was on the air back in the mid to late 60s. And uh, again, YouTube is your friend. And I started watching a few of those and they're pretty cool. Now, I'm not going to watch all 1,225 episodes, but. Wow. It was certainly enjoyable. Was it on that long? Well, yeah, but it was it was on five days a week. It was a soap opera. Uh... But, but, but I'm not going to go too much more into detail because I'm that that's going to be the subject of the next take okay. five. Okay. All right. Well, so. I just like to say in in uh, defense of Johnny Depp that uh, when I was a youth, I really liked Twenty One Jump Street. That was like one of my favorite shows. So Johnny Depp kind of gets a pass for me always because I liked him on that show. And so when he went big in the movies, I still admire his work and everything. I know sometimes he gets kind of goofy and everything, but uh, yeah, I think he's yeah. a pretty good actor. I like him. Yeah. Well, you know, he goes where the money is, and heck, if they're going to pay him to do that, why not? So, now, um, you know, I did mention District 9, you know, in that last take five, and Peter Jackson's got a film coming up that we've talked about from time to time, and it opens on August 8th, and it's called Elysium. It looks pretty cool. It's again, that's the uh, Matt Damon one, right? Exactly, right. We're, we're heavy into the post-apocalyptic themed movies these days, and this is no different. You know, Earth is a mess, and all the rich people live in this. You know, I guess some sort of a space station that's, you know, elaborate and huge. And as you might imagine, eventually the people that are forced to live down in the horrible conditions on Earth want to go up and see what everything's about up in the space station. So it looks, the trailers look really good. Yeah, the trailers do look good. I saw, I can't remember what movie I saw before. And, and, oh, I think before uh, we saw Superman, I think. You know, and Matt Damon, I'm, you know, I'm 50-50 on. I, I, I like him in a lot of things. And and Jodie Foster is one of the principal characters. I believe she plays the, I don't know if it's the president or, you know, but but the 
the top. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. official. So uh, anyway, uh, anything else before we get started? Uh, I don't think so. I think that's right. pretty comprehensive. Little. Hey, TV fans! TV Talk connects you with your favorite TV shows like never before. The exciting brand new TV Talk app is here. The TV Talk app brings you fun and informative reviews and info related to your favorite TV shows, delivered to your smartphone, tablet, or PC every morning. With the free TV Talk app, you can hear what other fans think and even submit your own review clip. The TV Talk app lets you share your feedback clip to Facebook or Twitter, so your friends can join in the conversation too. Visit www.tvtalk.com. And download the free TV Talk app today. Genre women we love. So we're talking about the actresses, and and obviously we can't help but talk about the characters they play. So it's you know going to be a little of both. But one of the first things you know I wanted to talk about Wayne is, is the whole idea of an icon because iconic is one of those. Uh, descriptors that we throw out there a lot you know he's iconic she's iconic this is an iconic uh character or whatever and you know basically you know dictionary definition an object of uncritical devotion you know in layman's term i guess we kind of think if something's iconic it's that it's it's so well known it's it's made such an impact that virtually you can't help but know yeah that sounds like a fairly reasonable definition there um yeah i'd say yeah something that kind of like you know transcends your you know what would a normal character you yeah know, something that uh you know a character like you know princess leia for example absolutely you know, right 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 like right there um and, and something that is you know a, a kind of character is going to be a, a, an archetype for you know in, in many respects as well there Right. And, and ironically enough, Carrie Fisher, who, you know, of course, played Princess Leia, I, I won't say that she didn't do much else in her career, but I mean, I, I think certainly most of us know her for that. Yes. You know? Though she was uh, good in Soap Dish. She was very funny in that movie. Um, you know what? I have some promotional stuff from that. I'm not sure I ever saw the movie. Oh, yeah. It's, no, it's no actually idea. a very funny movie. It's really good. And uh, is, what is Howard is Howard Hessman in that? No, it was uh, oh, Kevin Klein. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, but, uh, anyway, but, what else? Uh, she she was in. Oh, she was on a, an episode of Thirty Rock. That was she was freaking hilarious. It was she was really good. So all right, but now okay. Now you mentioned archetypes. Uh, you know, I, I guess kind of the original pattern or model things of the same type are representations or copies so that, you know, we, we certainly have archetypes uh, are peppered throughout science fiction, supernatural. And, and, you know, some of these actresses played characters that certainly can be considered archetypes. So that's something we'll talk about from time to time. But I guess we're not going to go in any particular order. I'm probably going to... Yeah, why do we start that now? Why don't you go first? Okay. Throw well, out whoever you want. My and, first one. And what we're, what we're going to do is we're each, we've each got five. And then, you know, we've got a list of, you know, certainly women that we love that just didn't quite make the list. And we'll throw those names out there and either say something or not about them. Right. Okay. Sounds good. So my first one uh, was originally going to be Angelina Jolie, which she certainly would qualify. But I realized 
I really haven't seen a lot of the movies that she's been, I, except for, uh, was it uh, Wanted? Or uh, the one with uh, James McAvoy, McAvoy. Well, I saw Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and you know that's not necessarily a genre movie, but it was yeah. pr- pretty damn cool. Yeah, it, 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 she was good. Yeah, I mean, this, in this one, she could like bend bullets, or they had to like, shoot, they like shoot a curveball, basically, a curved bullet. You know, whatever. Um, so I thought about it and I realized all my other uh, actresses were, were television actresses. And then I started watching Falling Skies, and I'm like, dude, Moon Blood Good. Why, okay. how, how, did, how did that one get by me? So I'll talk a little bit about Moon Blood Good here. First of all, she uh, was a Laker girl when she was 17. It was very good. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I first, probably you first really came in contact with her. Did you, well, did you watch Journeyman? I did. Yes. Yeah. I love that. You know, just, and I, I almost, Oh, you're right. I didn't yeah. even. Yeah. She was uh, his, uh, fiance. Right. Who, uh, Dan Vassar, who was, uh, Kevin McKidd is the actor played the character Dan Vassar. It was a reporter who all of a sudden becomes, in the words of Vonnegut, unstuck in time. Uh, and he just, he like slips in and out of time, a la Quantum Leap, very Quantum Leap-ish. He goes back and he, and he helps people out and stuff like that. Um, and then he, he runs into his uh, ex-fiance, who he believed had died in a plane crash. But in reality, she also is a time traveler. And then they, uh, they have all kinds of adventures and everything, so... Yeah, and you know what? That show, again, I, I think we probably mentioned that on our show when we talked about you know shows that were canceled before their time, and that was certainly one of them. Yeah, I just I can't remember the show that that they replaced it with, but it was like a truly crap show. So I'm like, like really, like okay, so maybe Journeyman is not pulling down the big numbers, but you replace it with this piece of garbage. That you know, it was like maybe like some reality show. It was just like, like you got to be kidding me because that was. I mean, it was it was a really good show. It was a well written show. The actors were. Good. I thought Moon Blood Good would save the show because I thought having the very attractive uh, female lead in there would uh, you know would bolster rings, but it was not to be. Well, you know, and the other thing is, look, I mean, I think we're we're under no illusions that these are women that we like the way they look, but it's got to be more than that. I think you're forgetting, or maybe you were you going to mention any other things that she was in? Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, because well, I mean, like her most her butt kickingest role was definitely as Lieutenant Blair Williams in Terminator Salvation. Um, yeah. Now, how come I haven't seen that? I don't know. Yeah. It's a pretty good movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would out of the was it the yeah which number was that T four right is the fourth one yeah. The fourth one, uh, I would I would rank it a strong third out of four. <laughs> it's better than T three, uh, but not better than the first two. Uh, but it's pretty good, and and Christian Bale's a good actor. But she, uh, you know, like she was great. And she like kind of discovers this guy Marcus, and she kind of like falls in love with him. And then she, you know they they kind of look out for each other, and they beat up bad guys. And uh, at the end, Marcus has been taken captive, and she. Uh, you know, shoots him out of there to try and rescue him and everything. So, but now she does the beating up. She did. Uh, well, in this, like, right when she first finds Marcus and's like, "Here, you should come with me," because she's a pilot for the Resistance. Uh, Terminator Salvation takes place in the future. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. Um, so this is John Connor of the future, 
is the central character. And she's a resistance pilot. Her, I think her helicopter, I believe, crashes. And uh, then she runs across this guy, Marcus. And and she says, well, you should come with us. You know, we can, we can help you out. And like the first night they like build a campfire and um, like these three guys attack her. And then she like beats down two of them. The third guy, I think like sucker punches her. And then Marcus comes in and saves her from the third guy and everything. Well, you know, that's the thing, you know, obviously we know her now from Falling Skies and she's sort of atypical, at least of the, of the five that I have on my list in that she's really not an action actress. Right. Not in Falling Skies, not so much, but, uh, but she is like, you know, I mean, there are a number of situations that she, uh, she faces danger. Uh, the, the guy, the, the family that steals, uh, the antibiotics from her in season one, I think. Um, she gets trapped down in the, the basement of that hospital with the little bugs that are eating their way through uh, in mm-hmm. season two. So she's in some precarious situations. All right. Well, um, she- but uh, I, I think really she's like, I, 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 I've think about this watching. I like, think, you know, she's like a, like, she like kicks moral ass. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like as as a as a center of morality and uh, of of what is right, Um, you know, basically, uh, you know, kind of like reinforces, um, you know, Tom and and his kind of uh, belief system and everything. But uh, yeah, just she's she's just a a great character, And, and I like because she has made that transition from, you know, like in Terminator, like just kind of being like an action hero. Uh, type character now to the kind of more thoughtful, more mature um, Dr. Anne Glass in Falling Skies. But right, of course, now that she's given birth to an alien human, spoiler alert! Stop! Stop! Oh, stop! Why? Why? I forgot. Yeah, that's all right. I knew there had to be something goofy about the baby. Okay. All right. All right. So, anything else you want to say about? Moon nope. blood good? Nope. Okay. Now, my first, and she'd probably be number five on my list, so going in reverse order, uh, is somebody that you might not think of, but I think when you start examining it, and that is Evangeline Lilly, a.k.a. Kate Austin from Lost. Now, unless you were up at two in the morning and in the market for a phone friend, you probably never saw Evangeline Lilly until she... You know, that scene, if you remember in Lost, in the first episode, she walks past Jack, who's in the jungle, you know, tending to all his wounds, and he asks her if she can stitch up the cut on his shoulder, and, you know, she looks at him like he's he's nuts. It's like, well, didn't you ever make drapes or something? And she's like, okay. Um, so you should never, that's, that's not a good way to approach a modern woman. Yeah, because, and Lost was, you know, really her first, I mean, she had some minor roles in things, the, you know... Girl in the girl against the locker and different things. Uh, you know, she was in uh, Freddy versus Jason, school student next to locker, that sort of thing. She was she was brilliant in that role. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, here here's a you know a brand new actress, and in fact, w- what was really funny uh, probably wasn't funny for her at the time. But she's Canadian, uh, as a lot of these actresses that, that we love are, and she couldn't 
get, uh, you know, I forget whether it was her green card or her visa or whatever it was. And she wasn't going to be able to get to the audition in time. Like they had already seen her, they wanted her, but, you know, she still had to get there. And they were already in the process of trying to recast her part when she got there finally at the last minute. And obviously everything worked out. As a character, look, you know, with some of these actresses, I just got, it's like, she's just so damn cute, you know? And then you look, she's so damn cute. And then in the next minute, she's pistol whipping, you know, some poor schlup that, uh, you know, probably deserved it, but... Um, you know, so we see this character that's brave, reckless, sexy, and, you know, I think really she helped a lot, you know, with the whole cast of Lost really changed the landscape of the genre television show and, and that, uh, you know, her character is extremely brave one moment and then, you know, cuts a deal behind everybody's back the next. And, you know, I think the the common denominator with a lot of these women is obviously that they're strong and they don't take any crap from anybody. True. True. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, the, the whole, uh, you know, because and the whole, you know, Sawyer and Jack, Jack Sawyer thing, you know, like, um, you know, like she was kind of caught in the middle of that and as well as everything else that's going on. So it's like, um you know, like, well, everyone, I guess, on Lost had, like, extra emotional baggage that they, you know, besides just surviving and trying to get off the island, that, you know, they, they had these, also these other personal demons, and, and of course, she is a lady with a past, and, uh, and right. right, and and along with Jack, I mean, she really, yeah, I certainly wouldn't say she carried the show, but, I mean, along with Jack and probably Sawyer, I mean, and Hurley, the, the, the four of those were, were principally in in just about every episode and Terry Quinn um, too. now and did i mention she's canadian uh, she was nominated six times for a saturn award got, uh, nominated for a golden globe and obviously after you have that role and you'll probably argue with me and i'm not even totally convinced myself but that's fairly close to an iconic role of kate austin yeah as far as being very well known and like you know yeah, probably not in the Princess Leia stratosphere, right. Right. but you know, but but very close. So anytime you you know you've got a role like that, it really becomes difficult. She appeared in that movie, The Hurt Locker. Uh, did you see that? Yeah, Catherine Bigelow. But what was she? What was she in that? She was the guy's wife. Um, oh, okay. You know, uh, back in the states, you know, the the film won the Academy Award. I what she did in the film, I thought was really good. I mean, it was totally not Kate and showed me that, hey, she can act. But her current project and you know, genre fans, well, at least genre fans that don't have a stick up, uh, well, okay, that don't possess open minds, should be happy that she's going to be appearing in the next Peter Jackson installment of The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog, and then There and Back Again. Right? You knew that, correct? Uh, nope. Oh, okay. Now, she, now she's going to, and, and the purists are going to say that, well, the character she's playing didn't even appear in the books. And that's true. It's a character that Peter Jackson created. And uh, she plays Tariel, who's a woodland elf. So she's got the Spock ears, which looks really cool. She's got a 
you know, an arrow. She's a uh, female amidst a bunch of males, and supposedly she's going to be the head of the Elven Guard. And again, so you know, some of the the clips that I've seen, she looks really, really cool. Um, yeah. You know, definitely very Tolkien-ish. So, um, looking forward. I mean, I haven't seen the first Hobbit. Oh maybe. yeah, it was good. Okay. So it's- now she wasn't in that one, obviously. Right. But. All right, that's it for up there. I was going to say that's it for Kate Austin. That's it for Evangeline Lilly. <laughs> little chalk one up for potentially icon yeah. definition yes. there. Right. Okay, moving on to my next one. I went with uh, Gina Torres. Ah, good choice. Who, you know, again, we talk about iconic. Has Zoe Washburn reached that stage as an iconic character? You know. Uh, um, I'd say no, just because of the fact that that's one of the most underwatched shows there is. Well, it was, but now it's like huge, right? Well, I, you know, I, I, th- I, I think most, especially like sci-fi fans, like that's like sci-fi one hundred and one. You got? Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah, you know? but anyway, so. Maybe not iconic, but certainly an excellent character uh, in Firefly. Gia Torres is great. Um, you know, she's like, on the one, you know, because it's, it's really funny, the, her relationship with Wash, her husband, right. um, because he's a goofball. He's not really a fighter. Um, and, you know, and she's kind of like, you know, well, it's, it's, you know, like there is no one who quote unquote wears the pants in the relationship, right? Because they both kind of, uh, but, but Wash knows there's, there's no, he can't boss her around at any point. He can't like, he can never be like, you know, woman, you know, do this. Cause you know, she's like, she, she could crush well, well, him. Well, she's a soldier. Right. Right. She's a soldier. He's a pilot. Right. And, uh, you know, and that's my personal favorite episode is, um, uh, was, was it war stories? I think it's called where, you know, um, Wash is upset because Mal and, and Zoe have all these shared experiences as, as soldiers and everything. And, and he is suspects that there's something going on between them. And, uh, and, and so, you know, and, and then, you know, that there's that great scene where, uh, he, that he wants to go on a mission with Mal and they get captured by the Russian gangster and they're tortured. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, Wash comes to the realization that that they're just buddies, you know, because, you know, normally in a typical show, it would be like Mal and Zoe would be all over each other and everything. There'd be this back history, but there isn't. They're just, they're, they're war buddies, they're, they're friends, and, and that's it. But, but you know, it just shows her the, the complex nature of, of the character of Zoe, and, uh, and Gina Torres does a great job of, of carrying that character out with all of her complexities, that she can be a loving wife, that she can be beautiful and tender, but she can also, like, she's deadly. She's oh. lethal. Yeah, you know, and 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 so those kind of paradoxical elements of of her character really uh, make her an, an excellent character. Um, so, anything you also want to say about Zoe? Oh my God! Uh, um, well, you, I, I want to say about Gina Torres. I mean, where I first was introduced to her was in Alias, right? And that's what, like, I mean, she's been in so much stuff. Well, she was, uh, you know, Jennifer Garner's character's arch enemy, Anna Espinosa, who. 
you know, w- which was kind of interesting because she had its Russian accent and, <laughs> you know, uh, last name Espinoza didn't seem to fit. But, uh, but oh my gosh, they had some tremendous fight scenes. And, you know, since I've been uh, really watching Continuum, you know, I've never been a fan of extended fight scenes in TV shows. And, you know, I'm coming to really appreciate them more and more. And, and uh, Gina Torres and uh, Jennifer Garner had a number of them throughout the five seasons of Alias. So, you know, her, her character as this, you know, international spy, again, she was awesome in, in that. Like, I haven't seen, like, most of these, like, you know, she was in Hercules, she was in Xena, she was in The Shield, she was in Angel. I I do remember when she was in 24. I remember her from that. Oh, right. Yeah. So, I mean, she's got quite the, uh, oh, yeah. You know, know, the list of genre credits. And now I think she's in one of these, like, lawyer shows, right? Yeah. I can't remember what's, but yeah, she's in some kind of. She should be in the one with, uh, uh, with Mal. Oh, yeah. Castle. Well, she actually was on an episode of Castle. Oh, okay. I, I can't remember what she played, but uh, but I did see that. Actually, I might have missed it. I, I still haven't seen, like, the last, like, because, you know, it got to a point where, like, I was recording Castle, but then I started recording, like, Being Human U.S., and they were, like, on the same night, and so I had to choose, like, yeah, which one? Because like it was like continuum also, so like oh. I can only record two. So, so Castle got cut. So I need to see like the last like six episodes of Castle. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let me get my well, next one. Well, actually, and... one more thing to say. Oh yeah, I, I did ahead. not know this. You might not have known this either. Do you know who Gina Torres is married to? I don't. She's married to Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, actually, yes. Interesting. Yeah. Right, now, uh, speaking of who she's married to, we, we just mentioned, you know, in, in Firefly, she's married to Alan Tudyk. Right. Um, he's in 42, believe it or not. Oh, is he? Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's funny. And, and I won't spoil it's, – it's incredible, and I'll just leave it at that. Okay. So, But, yeah, but she was – actually, well, because she was – I just remembered who she was in the Matrix uh, movies. I don't remember. She, uh, she was, um, oh, uh, uh, the Dozer's, right? Was it Dozer or, I don't know, one of the, the, the guy who piloted the, the, the ship. Right. His, she's like his sister-in-law. Oh, like she yeah. was married. Remember like the first movie, like his brother dies, he gets killed. I think she was her husband. And so she's like, when they go back to. The, the place where the humans live. She's there. She's like, wearing all white. And that's what she was. But anyway, so that's where she met Lawrence Fishburne on the, the set of The Matrix. And they, oh, okay. they got married. Right. They have a kid, actually. So, All right. All right. I don't think there's any question that this next actress is, uh, or her, rather her character is considered iconic. And that's Gillian Anderson, who burst onto the sci-fi TV scene as a 25-year-old, relatively inexperienced actress, handed the role of a lifetime when X-Files creator Chris Carter convinced Fox that she was perfect for the role. And I guess the big uh, fight between Chris Carter and Fox executives at the time is they wanted somebody with blonde hair and a lot of cleavage. And he was, you know, fighting tooth and nail that he wanted Gillian Anderson. That was not what he wanted for that role. And fortunately, in the end, he won. And 
you know, the obviously the X Files in, in the same way Lost was groundbreaking. I mean, the X Files is is the genre show that really reawakened in me, you know, the desire to get back into that viewing, whether film or TV in particular. Friday nights at 9 p.m. beginning September 10th, 1993, and for me, uh, you know, hasn't been the same since. Did you, did you watch it when it was on? Uh, we talked about this before, but uh, I, I watched season one. Oh, right. Uh, but, you know, after that, as I said, I was, you know, busy on Friday nights. So okay. Oh, right. I wasn't watching TV. Yeah, right, right. You were younger. All right. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think Agent Scully is clearly an iconic character. I mean, I, I think if you end up on The Simpsons as your character, I think it's safe to say you've become iconic. Um. And, you know, if you haven't seen the show, and I'm sure there's some listeners out there that haven't, I mean, obviously, as much as you watch, you'll, and I know you'll get around to it at some point, um, you know, is that, you know, her character has a brilliant mind. She does not believe in aliens, ghosts, or conspiracies, yet she approaches her partner, Fox Mulder, played by David Duchovny, all his obsessions with these things with an open mind. And, you know, as an FBI agent, you know, we see a you know, we see her in a certain amount of action scenes. And I guess the thing that always struck me is how uh, how she could run so damn fast in those high heels. That's a prerequisite for the uh, the television action heroine. Well, it seems to be, especially at least the FBI agents. And, uh, you know, her character, this is her first field experience. You know, we see her that she, she had been a medical doctor and then gone to work for the FBI uh, when she decided that, you know, you know, she didn't want to go into medicine. And, you know, it's funny because despite everything she's got going for her, her, her character, that is, I think what's cool is that she doesn't realize that she's attractive. And while Mulder, her partner, you know, he never really, you know, gets into, you know, you're really touching on that aspect. Uh, there are three minor characters, recurring characters, the the lone gunman who are these you know they run this conspiracy newspaper right i remember those guys yeah right and one of them uh, melvin frohickey uh you know he, it, it's his job i think to remind the audience that you know she is pretty attractive and he would throw out you know you know oh agent mulder looking delicious as always lines like that so well he probably uh, said agent scully though right yes what did i say he said mulder oh <laughs> Uh, well, you know, you never know. Now, uh, David Duchovny is a handsome man. He is a handsome man. All right. So, uh, you know, nine seasons of the X-Files, two films, and, you know, that's pretty much her screen output in the genre field. So she's really, I mean, that's it for her. But I guess it was, I felt it was so important, you know, for what, you know, her character and show brought to the table that I wanted to put her in there because, you know, the rest of her career it's pretty much she's doing period movies, you know, like uh, Bleak House, which is Charles Dickens and, uh, oh gosh, I can't think. Oh, The House of Mirth, which was just, uh, I think that was that Willa Cather. Oh, Edith Wharton. Um, House of Mirth, just a really tragic character that, uh, oh, just a tremendous movie that, you know, just totally the opposite of everything we see out of, uh, Agent Scully, uh, you know, she's done some, what's the, the, uh, oh, the guy that played Mr. Bean. 
Yeah, Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson. So, so the, the the one the the Johnny, what was it? You know, oh James Johnny Bo- English. Right, she was in that. She plays the head okay. of uh, MI five. Yeah, she was. One. She was actually. I learned this. Uh, I, I saw her being interviewed by Graham Norton, and she was born in England, I guess. Uh, and then they they moved to America when she was right. young. Um, so. Yeah. Oh, she played Miss Havisham. Yeah, great, yeah, great expectations. Played, right, right. That, that's actually she was doing the interview because of uh, the great expectations. Right now, to be fair, she has been a recurring character in Hannibal. Has she? Oh, yeah. And who else is? Uh, is is that Lawrence Fishburne in that too? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't watch it. But no, uh, I, don't, I don't either. But I remember seeing like there was like just like uh, seeing the previews and everything. Like saying, "Whoa, he!" I think I think it might be Lawrence Fishburne. Right. Now, in uh, House of Mirth that I mentioned, Willa Cather, she's starring opposite Caprica star, Eric Stoltz. Um, and, you know, that uh, apparently now she's set to appear in an NBC action thriller, Crisis, that's going to air in early 2014, which, uh, you know, she plays a CEO whose son's been kidnapped along with the classmates at an elite DC school. And, oh, yeah, the president's son is also among those kidnapped. Uh, however, there is a return to the genre field. She's filming our robot overlords with Ben Kingsley. And uh, as you might imagine, it's an alien invasion tale with, you guessed it, robots. Yeah, it's, so, it sounds like it. Yep. So, <laughs> well, it's so funny you mentioned, I know this is off topic, but like you mentioned Eric Stoltz and, and uh, you know, like <clears throat> one thing he's famous for is something he he didn't do which is how he was originally the the guy they wanted for marty mcfly in the back of the future oh um and so i i mentioned this because i, I mean obviously he's had a, a nice career anyway he's 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 still working you know as an actor and everything but um uh in an episode of fringe when they cross over to the the red verse there's a right. movie theater, and in the back it says, you know, it's a movie theater, and the marquee, it says, Back to the Future, starring Eric Stoltz. Oh, you're right. I remember that. Yeah. So it's just a little nod to that very famous anecdote how he, he almost got the uh, that, that uh, iconic role, we might say, of Marty McFly. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that would certainly be, be up there. Okay. Well, my next one is, we can maybe talk about, I think, I... I I give this a future iconic stature, and that is Anna Torv, who really basically is Olivia from Fringe. So you say, Wayne, that's just one role, dude. Come on. But it was Olivia in Fringe. Right. And, and just like Gillian Anderson with Agent Scully, I think you're absolutely right. Right. Um, and and she was great. I mean, like the just the, the range of and, – and, and especially playing – two different versions of Olivia. We, we really got to see it in just, you know, those five seasons. We got to see everything from, you know, the very Scully-like. And here's where, you know, is Scully an icon? Well, how how much of Anna Torv is kind of based on Agent Scully, right? Yeah. That very, you know, kind of logical, procedural type FBI detective uh, or agent. And then, you know, the... We see her. Actually, our first image of her is of the passionate lover. She's in in bed with uh, John. I can't remember his last name. You know, uh, and then you know the the ongoing relationship with her and Peter. Um, oh, John Scott. John Scott, right? She's a superhero for part of it. 
you know, she's able to cross between universes. Um, my one of my favorite moments of her is in season four, where she's all, you know, all cortexa fanned up, and she actually uses telekinesis to have Peter beat up David Robert Jones. Uh, as she's across the, uh, she's like on a, a rooftop on the across the street, and she like has you know uses her superpowers to have Peter beat up and and eventually kill David Robert Jones. So, mm-hmm. um, and then and then in, in season five we see a, a wide range. You know, she's a um, a grieving mother. Uh, we see her. We we see her reunited with her daughter. Uh, which was to me one of the, the absolute most touching scene in the entire series, uh, when she's reunited um, with uh, with uh, Henrietta, and then uh, and then and then also like the butt kicking action hero too, and everything. So. Yeah, yeah. Now, did you see what she's going to be starring in her newest I, project? I have not. It's uh, Ryan Murphy, who we know from Glee and uh, American Horror Story. God, are are those two uh, opposite ends? Yeah. But it's a a show called Open, and uh, she plays, uh, gosh, I can't remember her. I think she's a yoga instructor, and she's in a relationship with Jennifer Jason Lee, and I forget what her character, and and then there's a a third female that's, you know, that, that, you know, so it's about, you know, sexuality of, of all different combinations, and I believe it's going to be on it's not hbo and it's not showtime it might be stars i'm not sure what it's going to be on but i believe they did a pilot i'm not sure if the pilot has been picked up for a whole season yet but uh um, you know interesting again you know a, a total departure from what she's done yeah absolutely that's that's definitely different from what she's done yep and that that's great um I'm a little surprised she's getting back into television. You know, I thought that maybe, well, maybe she tested the the waters for the for movies, and that just really didn't pan out. But uh, you know, she's a a really good actress, and I'm sure she'll be awesome in that show. All right. Now, my next one is somebody I know you like a lot, and that is Eliza Dushku. Do you like Eliza Dushku? Okay. Good call. Now. I didn't realize it, though, at the time, but my first experience with Eliza Dushku came in the Schwarzenegger film True Lies. Did you see that? I did see that movie. She was their daughter. Really? Uh, yeah, Arnold and Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, that's and, funny. Uh, yeah, she was probably about 13 or 14 at the time. But, you know, even then, I mean, she had screen presence and, and you know, that, that you know there were a lot of action scenes with her as she finds out that, uh, you know, her parents are really spies. Now, fast forward to 2009, and now she's the star of Joss Whedon's Dollhouse, playing a different character each week. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, you mentioned Anna Torv playing the, you know, the two sides of Olivia. And, you know, obviously we've talked about uh, Tatiana Maslany in Orphan Black playing six, seven, eight, however many sides. But, you know, what Eliza Dushku did in Dollhouse I think was really overlooked by a lot of people that she was essentially playing a different character each week. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, like definitely, uh, well, and then towards the end of it, she's like slipping between, 
you know, play a character who she realizes she's, you know, like, so like she's, you know, because she, she, she was only acting like she, like she wasn't totally getting into the character. So she was like herself playing another character. Right. Like, so it's, yeah. Wow. Great acting job. Yeah. And again, I know we've mentioned, it's been a while since we mentioned Dollhouse, but again, that's one of those shows that if you haven't seen, it's only 26 episodes, I believe over two seasons, definitely a, a must see. Um, so she's one of these actresses that I guess she's got a connection with Joss Whedon and, you know, she was in Buffy uh, as Faith. You you didn't get into Buffy. I mean, I've I've seen probably 10 to 15 episodes of Buffy in no particular order, but I obviously gravitate to the ones that have uh, Faith, her character in them. And she's the, she's the bad girl vampire slayer, you know, really captivating character. Uh, she was also in a show, and this is one that, that I'm going to have to go back and, and check out, called True Calling, T-R-U. And her character's name was True Davies. And uh, I guess you could say it's a time travel drama of sorts, or maybe more like Groundhog Day, but that the idea was that she could relive a day and then try to prevent some sort of tragedy. Well, and also she was in uh, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back as well. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, now, you, have, you, have you seen that one? I have not. No, okay. She plays a, a, um, a, a the leader of a, a a group of female bank robbers. Oh, so okay. it's really it is a, definitely a kind of a, a action hero. Well, she's not a hero. She's actually she's not quite a bad guy, uh, but. Um, but uh, really kind of cool character, very funny uh, pro-girl power type character. Oh, okay. Now, she's also apparently completed production of a movie called The Scribbler, which I haven't been able to find out a ton about, but it's described as a thriller. But it, it definitely seems to have some elements of sci-fi in it. Um, she's lent her voice to Hulk and the Agents of Smash in a cartoon based on the Marvel character, but... Perhaps my favorite character of hers is in the film Bring It On. Have you seen that? <laughs> Bring It On, no. That's like the she, cheerleading one, right? It's absolutely the cheerleading movie. And yeah. she is the bad girl cheerleader, and she's awesome in it. Um, <laughs> I can't believe you saw that. Why did you see uh, that? Because she's in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, gotcha. and, and again, look, I saw the uh, – you know what I saw? I, I mentioned this on the Continuum podcast the other night. I might as well fess up here too. I saw Pitch Perfect the other day. I don't, I don't even know what that is. Uh, it follows the trials and tribulations of a college a cappella singing group. And we'll Seriously? At that. Yeah, <laughs> right. blame it on my wife again. But, okay, uh, you know. if, you, if you must. All right. Anyway, Eliza Dushku, you know, and really waiting for, I believe she's still you know, got some sort of connection that, you know, that Joss Whedon has in the back of his mind, you know, for some sort of project that she'll be involved with. And, you know, I can't wait. She's awesome. Oh yeah, definitely. Good call. Well, my next one, uh, I do believe that there was like some podcast voted, uh, Aaron soon as the, uh, like number one, uh, female heroine of okay. all time, I, I think sci-fi heroine. I believe like so, some some podcast said that. Okay. But behind Aaron Soon is Claudia Black, the actress. 
well, not behind her. She's like kind of in the same place because she played her. But anyway, again, I, I can't call her iconic because, you know, obviously Farscape will probably never have that kind of, you know, audience, even via Netflix that, that you know, some of these other shows have had. Um, but certainly as, 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 you know, we talked about in that previous podcast is, you know, definitely as far as archetypes and archetypal, you know, um, science fiction heroine, she like basically got 10 out of 10 on every category that we established there for that. And again, a, a character that, um, as you know, pretty much all these ladies that, uh, that, you know, if you underestimate at, at your peril, right? Yeah. That assuming that they are, you know, not able to handle themselves physically or emotionally just because they're female is a gross case of, of underestimation and, and you're probably going to pay for it. Right. Now, I will say of all the ones we've discussed so far, I think she had the coolest outfits. No question about it. No, no, no question at all. Uh, black leather all the way. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, but we see, you know, again, they develop that character and we see so many aspects of her beyond just the warrior. Even though she comes at, when we first are introduced to her, she is the Sebastian warrior. And, and that's like, you know, she's really hardcore. Uh, but then as the show continues, as her character grows, uh, we see a lot more elements of her. Uh, we see the romantic side to her. We see the maternal side of her. Uh, we see the friend and bonding side and everything. So uh, uh, we we get a lot out of Aaron Sun and Claudia Black just uh, you know knocks that role right out of the park. Well, she was certainly in in one of my favorite shows of all time, Stargate SG One, and you know that's really what led me to Farscape. You know that that she came on board in seasons nine and ten of Stargate SG One, and then. Yeah, and I was just, uh, you know, along with Ben Browder, and that's what led me to Farscape. Right. Yeah, it was good. But, um, and, you know, I, I also wrote down here uh, my favorite moment from Farscape. I mean, there's a lot, and we could pick one where she's, like, you know, kicking butt in one way or another. But I really liked when they end up taking Wormhole back to Earth, and she's trying to learn English. Oh, yeah. And it's just it's great. You know, it's, yeah, it's funny. So. Uh, yeah, that was actually one of the funniest episodes of the whole the whole series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and you know the the thing about her also is that you know I you know I love the black hair, the black leather. She's always I mean she's always got you know some sort of a gun strapped to her side. Just I don't know. Just like you said, menacing one moment, sexy one moment. A maternal one moment, just you know, really, just just really great character. Absolutely, that's why so, I picked her. All right, now I first encountered Lexa Doig in the kind of the same way when she joined the cast of Stargate SG One in seasons nine and ten. There, there was a lot of turnover in the last two years there, and she replaced a, a really popular medical officer. Yeah, she came on and played Dr. Carolyn Lamb, and it was a pretty tough act to follow, but it was a totally different dynamic because not only did she, as the doctor, have to keep all the teams ready and throw out a steady stream of technical words, but uh, she also had to make sure that the commanding officer, who also happened to be her father, 
was satisfied with her work. So it was really, you know, an interesting dynamic there. So I got to see her for two seasons there. You can imagine how surprised and delighted I was when she showed up as one of my favorite terrorists of all time, Sonia Valentine on Continuum. And plays a totally different, you know, brilliant, sexy, cold as ice, now kind of the de facto leader of Liberate, uh, that terrorist group that's traveled back from 2077. And uh, is there a more stylish character? She is pretty continuum. Yeah. And, and, you know, complex too, because like, especially now, like we just don't know what, what her deal is, you know? Yeah. Like, like, I mean, everything is just so up in the air with continuum. Although I, like I have, I've haven't seen like the last two or three episodes, but so I'm speaking from a little bit behind the times, but, uh, um, but, but yeah, cause she's like almost like, not so i mean certainly not the radical branch of of liberate now you know probably the more moderate and uh you know so it's it's interesting what uh what's going on with all this stuff but uh, did i did i mention she's canadian yes yeah okay no i don't think yep. i do but <laughs> well you you had said that well okay yeah not her and, and actually yeah and uh who we um claudia black is australian oh yeah right I didn't mention and, and ben browder is also right is he i th- I don't know. You know what? All right. Anyway. Well, I don't uh, know. But, you know, just because he, you know, he's just such a, seems like such, he's so American, you know, yeah, like he seems like I might like have just, just made that up. You might. I mean, it was an Australian show. Right. It was anyway. produced by in Australia. All right. Well, at this point, you know, I, I started researching her career, which is what I often do. And I'm like, God, she was great in SG1. She's great in Continuum. And that's how I found Andromeda. And, you know, on that show that ran from 1999 to 2004, she actually played three different yet same characters because she was the ship's onboard AI and she appears to the crew in human form via a monitor screen and as a holographic image that can move about the ship. And then, uh, you know, when they join forces with the, you know, the crew that they meet in the pilot, Tech genius Seamus Harper creates a real life avatar that allows her to perform as a fully functioning crew member, you know, able to leave the ship and and basically gives her the chance to be in more than one place at the same time. So while she's playing the same character, each one's slightly different and there's definitely a different dynamic to each one. And, um, you know, I just find it fascinating. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any of those shows, but, uh, but, you know. Uh, you know, she's, she's pretty, she's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, apparently, did you ever hear of Tech War? That was William Shatner's uh, foray into the sci-fi field. And apparently they weren't too bad from what I understand, uh, the novels. And then they were made into uh, a couple movies, I believe. And, and she played a hacker. Uh, I think there's actually a short-lived TV series as well. Um, there was a show called CI5, The New Professionals, where she was bringing down terrorists. Uh, it was a show that didn't do too well and, and actually became one of those shows that apparently the critics mocked quite a bit. Um, she's currently a recurring character on Arctic Air, where we find a lot of our Canadian actors currently the, seem to end up in uh, at, at some point, Stephen Lobo, Brian Markinson are both in it. And uh, I'm almost surprised Roger Cross hasn't been in it yet. Um, <laughs> right. and, I, and I did see 
Jason, I guess it's Jason 10. I, I always called it Jason X. Did you ever see that? The, no, no, no. You know, the... Uh, well, like the Friday the 13th movies? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So she was in that as, as some sort of a scientist, and uh, it was a pretty bad movie, but she was in it. So <laughs> there was that. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I, uh, I, I actually did a quick check, and Ben Browder is indeed an American. Okay. He was born in Memphis, grew up in Charlotte, played football, football star in college. So, as I said, he's he's American all through and through, right? All right. So you got one left, right? And one I got more. one left, and, and I know who uh, you got. Yeah, everyone. Uh, if you if you are any if you listen to the earlier uh, episodes of this show, you know indeed that the, uh, the the lady I probably admire the most in the genre is one Summer Glau, and. So I'll start off with uh, River Tam, her role of River Tam and Firefly. Uh, obviously an incredibly complex character. Actually, maybe even a little annoying at first uh, because, I mean, honestly, we, you know, we, we sympathize with Mal and his you know, desire to avoid contact um, with any kind of authority or government and, and the... Uh, the, the Tam children are throw a big you know wrench into that that uh, that that the works as far as that goes, um, but we really start to see uh, a lot of elements of of her character, and certainly she is sometimes crazy, uh, but sometimes you know so crazy that she's actually more sane than everybody else. Well, and uh, as we learn some of her backstory, you know, she really becomes a, a you know. Uh, a character to be pitied. Yes, absolutely. But also not one to be underestimated absolutely as not. she just has to look out of the hull of a ship for about two seconds. And then she can uh, go and kill every single person in the room. Uh, just like that. And she can also take on the Reavers who, where everyone else in the world gets in their spaceship and runs away. She locks herself in a room with them and kills all the Reavers. So she is, uh, you know, she is definitely a character you do not want to mess with. Uh, but, but again, she's like skinny and tiny and, and looks like, oh, you know, it's just, you know, there's nothing to her. Oh, but no, <laughs> she is deadly dangerous. And uh, so uh, really great, great character. And really, I think the, the one character who really got justice served to her by the movie of Serenity you know, a lot of the, the characters didn't necessarily develop so much, much more than they had. But, you know, because that movie is so much about her, uh, we really get a lot more about her. And she really, uh, you know, that movie really um, caused her character to kind of take a bunch of steps forward there. And then in the end, she's the pilot of, of Serenity, right? Right. So that was really cool. Um, I guess at this point, we should move on to her role in this little uh, series called... Uh, the Terminator, the Sarah Connor. Ugh, I can never. It's like the biggest tongue twister ever. Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, um, and she is a Terminator sent back to protect John Connor. She gets the. This is an iconic line uh, in the first episode. Come with me if you want to live, and uh, and certainly from then on is uh, protects him. And as we've talked about, we've talked a lot about Cameron before, and uh, you know, the the how how much she develops 
Um, certainly, we talk about a beautiful but perilous uh, character, Cameron, as a Terminator. You can't get more dangerous than a Terminator. No, and and again, awesome outfits, right in that show, right. And you know, it's funny because there's like the one, and uh, and because she's trying to blend in as a high school student, which was sort of ironic to begin with. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Which is funny because, you know, there's, she's like, you know, the big main part of her character, she's like trying to learn how to be human. Right. Um, but then she's like walking around the house in her bra and, and, and John is obviously becoming attracted to her, but he's like, oh, it's a Terminator though. You know, but the, the, she seems to realize this and it's almost like the attraction seems to be mutual, but then again, you know, like he has to understand that she is a Terminator and that everything she, every decision she makes is based on logic and computer protocols and everything. So, and you wonder where the show would have gone with that in season three. Oh God. Yeah, I know. Well, they would have had to address it in some way. No, I, I mean, oh God, just like, because there was the season oh, three, okay, you know, yeah, because of the way it ended and there was just so much, you're right because she goes back. She goes back with it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, or back to the future. She goes. She jumps to the future with John. Um, there's there's so much that that they could have done with that, and uh, you know, it's really just. I mean, you talk about a show cut down its prime. I know, I've I've said this, you know, nattered on and on and on about this before. But just like what a tragedy, you know, just just uh, for that show to go away. But, uh, you know, my favorite really is when she starts having those flashbacks of, of the girl who actually was Cameron, uh, well, not Cameron, I can't remember the girl's name, who, who she actually was, the, whose form she took. And, um, I guess she's got some of the girl's memories and she starts having like this kind of like computer glitch and she's, uh, you know, kind of going back and trying to, tr- uh, track down, uh, the girl's family and everything like that. So that was a good acting job there. All right. Oh, one, one more thing just about her. Uh, besides, we had talked uh, at the last podcast about how she's going to be on Arrow. Obviously, we're looking forward to that. Um, I really have only seen this little bit of the Big Bang Theory. I just happened to like, turn the television once. Big Bang Theory was on, and Summer Glau was on. And I guess, the I don't know, have you ever seen the, the show? Yeah, uh, a little bit. Yeah, so it's like, you know, these, these guys are all kind of like nerdy type guys and everything. They're big into sci-fi and everything. Uh, and they find out that Summer Glau is on the plane, uh, plane uh, train that they're on. And so obviously they like, you know, like, oh, we got to talk to her. We got to talk to her. We got to talk to her. And so the whole thing becomes their attempts to, you know, approach Summer Glau and everything. So it's just really, really funny uh, as far as that goes. So, But that was it. That's all I've seen of, of Big Bang and, and we talked about she had a, a minor recurring role in Dollhouse, uh, you know, as the rival tech genius. But she was also in this show – called the 4400. Did you ever see that? I have not. I had seen it a little bit and didn't realize that was her that was in it. But uh, basically these 4,400 people reappear after having been missing and they all reappear on the same day. And, you know, so it's certainly got the, you know, the supernatural, the genre, whatever. Uh, And then that movie, uh, that TV show, The Cape, which was, uh, Apparently pretty awful. Uh, uh, um, she was in Alphas. I think she was in a few episodes of Alphas. Started out strong, really you know, petered out in a hurry. All right. Lastly, 
If you're a genre fan and you don't know Amanda Tapping, then you must have been living under the proverbial rock. First known for portraying Samantha Carter during the 10-season, 220-episode run of Stargate SG-1. And that, I think, is my greatest accomplishment as a genre viewer, making it through all 10 seasons. I think it took me two years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but just a tremendous show. And, you know, she's the scientifically brilliant, uh, sassy, short-haired blonde, and I mean real blonde, uh, and typically was the conscience of the team. And, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, she was brought on board the team because, you know, she was just a brilliant scientist. So she pretty much had to learn how to be an action hero within the concept of the show. And, you know, she certainly picked that up quickly. But the other thing that's kind of funny is that, ironically, during the course of the show, she was often performing what I would call a MacGyverism. And anybody that hasn't seen MacGyver, geez, you need to get back. And uh, But, you know, MacGyver was that uh, Richard Dean Anderson, who played Colonel Jack O'Neill in SG-1, when he was MacGyver. MacGyver was one of those guys like, all right, how are we going to get across the river? Well, I've got a pack of chewing gum. And duct tape. and You know, duct tape and a couple pops. Right, exactly. Oh, I can build a bridge out of that. <laughs> and she was always doing the same thing in SG-1. She, after, you know, th- there were several spinoffs, she had uh, a fairly major role in Stargate Atlantis. Uh, I think she was in about 25 or 30 episodes of that. But then, of course, came along uh, Sanctuary, which was one of the sci-fi shows where she played Dr. Helen Magnus, who was the central character in this show that ran the Sanctuary, this, this uh, network of safe havens for, uh, I guess, beings that were, I don't know, monsters, uh, just, you know, not, not a- able to live, you know, within the, you know, the context of, of normal everyday life. And, and she protected them in some cases and then protected the rest of us from them in other cases. She was born, her character was born in 1850, and uh, this, as the story goes, she injected vampire blood and along with four others uh, became, I, I don't want to say immortal because I think she can die, but certainly her longevity has been infinitely increased, and I think she's like supposed to be like 180 years old or whatever. Uh, the other cool thing is, you know, we're so used to, I mean, 220 episodes of Sam Carter with short blonde hair. Uh, now we see her with long black hair and an English accent and the total antithesis of Carter, which is really cool. Uh, this is a, an awesome show. I think, again, one that at least it got four seasons, but, you know, she is the central character in this story. Uh, now she's in Supernatural. Yes, right as Naomi. Now I don't watch it. What what, what kind of character is she in that? <clears throat> well, okay. Spoiler alert: if you haven't seen the last uh, season, so. <clears throat> but uh, she plays a. She is a, an angel. Oh, okay. And uh, she has sent back Castiel to you know do some monkey business back on earth and everything and you're not sure of her 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 motives or you know and everything uh she seems to be an enemy 
Um, I think I have to go back because I think like at the end she is like kind of in the last episode. I think like the boys agree to kind of work with her. I gotta, I gotta get back. I gotta watch. I gotta I gotta do a rewatch of last season Supernatural. Um, but uh, yeah, basically she she's kind of in a business suit and sitting behind a desk and uh, she zaps Castiel up to heaven every now and then to to chat with him and then zaps him back to earth he doesn't remember you know talking to her but has his mission kind of downloaded into his brain and everything so uh pretty she, i mean she, she's obviously she's she's really good and she you know plays um you know if uh her role in, in sanctuary was kind of like where she had to be kind of like standoffish and 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 cold at times um that she really plays that up to the hilt in in, uh, in supernatural all right, dark hair or light hair? Dark hair. Okay, still long. Yes. Okay. All right. Cool. Now she also directed the most recent episode of Continuum. That would be episode twelve. I'm not sure if that's aired in the U.S. yet or not. But oh, as one uh, person that that sent us in an email to at the Liberate podcast, you know, I thought episode eleven was perhaps the best episode of the first two seasons of Continuum, and then episode twelve aired. Just, I, I, you know, I, I words don't do it justice. Just awesome. And I think directing is, a, you know, an area that I've read she would really like to pursue a lot more. So, Cool. All right. well, I have to check it out. All right. Now, you know, some of the people that, you know, that certainly were on my list to be considered, and one for me was Rachel Nichols, who obviously is the, the principal character in Continuum. She was a major character in Alias during the fifth and final season. And I think the story was that she was supposed to take Jennifer Garner's place who, you know, amicably wanted to amicably wanted to leave the show, but that didn't, you know, take off. Uh, and then she was also in GI Joe and, uh, and she was in the Conan movie, not my boobs. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? The Conan movie. Yeah. There was a, uh, I guess a sex scene with her character in it that uh, uh-huh. oh, you said body double. All right, well, that's what she claims. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's like a you know a, a YouTube thing out there where she's not my boobs. So, uh-huh. uh, um, you know, Lena Headey, of course. You know, sure. Sarah Connor Chronicles and Game of Thrones. Which uh, I, you know, now I think about maybe oh, I should put her on there. Well, yeah, but uh, who would you take? <laughs> you know, who would you take off? Yeah, true. So maybe Moonblood, good, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, Game of Thrones, uh, you know, somebody like Karen Gillan. I mean, only the one role, but pretty damn important, if you ask me. I mean, Amy is, you know, one of my favorites. All right, I'm trying Karen Gillan, Amy. Doctor Who? Oh, 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 duh, duh. How, how quickly we have forgotten. Yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> wow, wow, that's bad. That's that's really bad. That is bad. Ouch. Woo. Um. Uh, uh, Jennifer Garner. I mean, of course, from Alias, which was certainly, uh, you know, I, I think an important genre show. And then did you ever see the movie Electra that she was in? It's based on a, I don't know whether it's Marvel comics or DC or whatever. Yeah, no, Electra, yeah, is a, a Marvel comic. She's like the, uh, the female version of Daredevil. Okay. And, uh, Dare, uh, Daredevil was so bad that I refused to, to go and watch Electra. I think that's I, where I, she met. Uh, ben Affleck. I believe so, yeah. Okay. Because Ben Affleck um, played, uh, played Daredevil. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I'm wrong. I think they met on even an even worse movie, 
Pearl Harbor? Oh, uh, you're you're right. It, it wasn't a good movie. No, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, and then lastly of the of the ones that that I have that you know I wanted to just throw out there, Elizabeth Mitchell. You know we know her from Lost. Uh, right. she, she was in V Revolution and Revolution, v, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, and, and she was, v was really, kind of bad though. What's that? Um, v, v was yeah, was kind of bad. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't awful, but uh, I, I would have kept watching it. Was, it. it was pretty close. So, anybody you got uh, that didn't make the list? Uh, no, I think you know what's the, the ones uh, that that you mentioned were uh, would, would be the same ones I, I think would you know. Um, well, one girl again. This is and this is just because I'm watching Falling Skies right now. But I don't, I don't even know the actress's name. But the girl who plays Maggie um, is is pretty you know excellent as a uh, you know she's just a really good like kind of like. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah. Butt kicking type girl, and so don't say anything. But you know, like the, the the one thing is like how obviously she's kind of got a pass, and you're like wondering like oh she you know she was obviously really sick with cancer, but now she doesn't seem to be sick at all. And then uh, you know, and and so she has her big confession. Well, oh no, she dies. Like, oh wait, I'm sorry, dude. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> I was like, man, it's bad that you did to me once. Um, but but you know like and then like her big confession is like oh well you know I kind of got in trouble and went to jail yeah which is mm-hmm. like it was the most like ludicrous scene because uh what uh what what's the kid's name uh, the boy Hal yeah then is like well I just have to process this I'm like dude just tell her it's no biggie you know yeah. like you're freaking some of the only humans alive on earth and you're gonna like kind of like shut this girl out who you like because uh she did some time like what you like it, it was just I, I was i just remember sitting there thinking like this is ridiculous yeah no yeah, i agree but but um, she's whoever the actress is she's she's really good I, I love that character of uh of maggie yeah i do too and i can't believe uh sarah carter god i couldn't okay. think of it and i didn't look that up um, yeah, Sarah Carter. Well, you know, I think what's really great, uh, you know, there's almost this, uh, the Baltimore Sun had a, a full page story on it uh, a couple weeks ago, and the headline was Hungry for Girl Power. And, you know, it, it talked about, you know, the, the, the kind of resurgence of the strong, forceful female lead and female character. And that they were also talking about how it's filtered down into the younger generation and you get, uh, you know, uh, young adult novels that then become films, uh, you know, like The Hunger Games. And you've got, you know, the character like Katniss Everdeen and, uh, you know, now Jennifer Lawrence is a megastar, you know, and and certainly has shown apparently that she can act, you know, outside of that role. And and that the the whole post-apocalyptic, you know, storyline has really, you know, made its mark in, in YA fiction. You know, we've got uh, a film version of Ender's Game coming out. Yeah, and, that's going to be awesome. Right. And there are several, you know, uh, Lily Collins is going to play one of the characters in that. There's several strong female characters. Uh, Wolverine's coming out and, and it's got a, you know, a really strong female character. Have you heard of this film? Again, it was based on a novel that apparently is very popular among the uh, young adults uh, called Divergent. I haven't heard that one, no. And, you know, basically it's 
post-apocalyptic society, and that, as I understand it, you're, you're, there are five groups that, uh, and you're placed in one of these groups, and it's based on, uh, I don't know, temperament or some sort of a quality or whatever. And obviously, it's about you know the not being forced to go into you know that, and you know I think we get into the okay, fine. If you want to go to a different group, then you have to you know fight these three other people, and only the survivor gets to go. I, you know, I'm not sure about the whole storyline, but. But clearly the whole strong, younger female character, I guess, is becoming you know, extremely popular with films like Twilight. Right, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. So. For better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, anything else? No, I don't think so. All right, well, I don't think we've talked about what we want to do next. So I guess what we'll do is we'll throw out a tweet or two once we figure it out and – Hopefully get something up sooner than we did this time. Yeah. Well, I have an idea, but maybe I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it off the air. I won't trap you like the last time. Okay. So. All right. Sounds good. All right. So, uh, you know, as always, you can access the podcast through iTunes. You can go to our website, which is uh, fatalist.podbean.com. You can send us an email at fatalistpodcast.com at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, or you can send us a voicemail. Just go to the website and that little tab, and I don't remember what color it is anymore, over on the right side (laughs) of the screen, or just record your own MP3. Everybody knows how to do that these days. And until next time. I got nothing.